0: Welcome
1: to Campfire
0: Fireside Chats.
1: This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. This week, we're joined by a friend of the show and host of Our Strange Skies podcast, Rob Kristofferson. He's been at this a very long time and honestly, it shows. His knowledge of the history of ufology and cryptozoology, it's it's seriously something to marvel at. But this interview is not just a recounting of case files. We get down to business discussing our personal perspectives on the nature of any and all paranormal happenings. It's a fantastic fantastic talk seriously go and support rob in everything that he does but for now sit back relax and enjoy this fireside chat with rob christofferson all right rob christofferson welcome to the show thank you for having me good to good to finally be here yeah man it's been it's been a while i was i i cam and i was on your show our strange skies okay um when that was quite a while ago wasn't it this last october i want to say yeah yeah yeah, talking about anomalous bigfoot (laughs) yeah Awesome. awesome one of my favorite subjects um but ever since then we've been talking about getting you on here and i'm i'm stoked to finally have done it um i uh obviously the the main focus of of your show it has to do with the ufo phenomenon mm. would you say that's fair
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely fair uh ufo phenomenon and other kind of related elements to it yeah for sure
1: um i'm curious because you've been doing the, your show for was it almost three years oh i've been doing or how long Uh, I started Our Strange
0: Skies, the tail end of 2017. Oh, wow. And, yeah, um, and then I, uh, I did it for three years. I wasn't happy. I pulled everything off the, uh, internet. I pulled my feed, everything. Uh, and this was, like, at the, uh, kind of the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. And, um so like if you go and you'll you know now you'll see like every episode goes back to like i think like the tail end of 2020 yeah uh but uh yeah we've uh put everything back up toward that uh time period and have been kind of doing it mostly weekly since then which is oh god is <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's a struggle but uh yeah like uh i yeah. been doing it a long time i was doing it when there weren't really a lot of ufo podcasts which was kind of convenient um but yeah. like uh paranormal podcasts were just like becoming the thing you know they were you know emerging and yeah. uh getting...
1: you're back then when uh when like uh jim harold and astonishing legends and all them were mm-hmm. really getting off the ground right yeah
0: yeah, yeah. exactly like uh a lot of my friends were doing paranormal podcasts at the time, and um, uh, I just basically threw my my hat in the ring and said, Oh, why don't I do it? And everybody else was basically kind of doing the same thing, which was, you know, they were covering a hodgepodge of, like, uh, you know, paranormal and... Um, cryptids, UFOs and stuff, but I was like, yeah, let's just focus on one thing and like yeah. there was only down. One, yeah, basically and like yeah. there was only one other UFO podcast that was like you know, had a name to it and I that was somewhere in the skies. Right. And um I I went down in the weirder path, yeah. <laughs> the more weirder <laughs> path than Ryan did. Like I just started covering the weirdest stuff that I could. Um so
1: Okay, so, not three years, more like six years, seven years, something Mm -hmm. like that you've been going. Um, Do you feel like after after all that time, like hundreds of hours of podcasting about UFOs, do you feel like you're any closer to understanding the nature of them?
0: No. Not even close. And when you dive into this subject, like like, really deep dive into it, you start to realize that you have to start branching yourself out into other areas. You know, whether that be um, the cryptid side of things, because there are reports of Bigfoots and UFOs being in the vicinity of each other. You have these very weird, um, like... like, esotericism connects to it. Um, you know... You have Emanuel Swedenborg, who was basically saying that he was communicating with what are alien spirits from other planets, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Theosophy went down that road, and yeah, all of it kind of just connects. So, like, yeah, you when you really dive into it, you're, the subject doesn't get smaller, it gets much, much broader, yeah. and it becomes a harder thing to kind of uh, really wrap your head around. Um, I think the only thing, the only kind of conclusions that I have ever really come to is like, um, that these encounters that these people are having are something that are very personal and are very intentional. Like, I don't think it's a right place, right time kind of scenario, which is how these encounters are often portrayed as. Yeah. I tend to see them as more uh, of like signposts or, you know, like these turning points for people because yeah. their Mindstones. lives change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like their their lives change after that. Like they go through significant changes and um, it's, you know, possible that if this phenomenon is not like wholly internal like there is an external portion to it mm-hmm. that external portion does somehow serve us in some way and like otherwise I don't really see aliens or anything like that having a reason to actually come here like there really is no reason that I can think of that like, like curiosity ain't ain't it and like yeah. <laughs> these encounters do they don't feel like curiosity they feel very much um designed to be the way that they are designed to be um tailored to the witness themselves so like yeah I think that's the only conclusion that I can come to at this point is yeah they happen for a reason
1: I'm about yeah I'm about right there with you I have, mm-hmm. that's in my opinion a perfect answer because I mean that's the way that's it screams that to me that Mm. it's there's no way this is happenstance you know it's people so many people if you actually take the time to ask them questions about themselves not just this this single experience Mm -hmm. you start to understand this context that it happened in and you start seeing themes, reoccurring themes in in what these people are going through in their personal lives when things mm-hmm. happen, right? And yeah. and their personal reaction to the experience. And it just, it feels like, like you said, if, if there's an external element, it feels like it's, it feels like it has some way of recognizing a need in us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which is I mean, it's kind of I mean, we can say those words, but like that means so much more than what we're saying. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. would that would suggest something so much bigger I think than we could explain or understand.
0: You can't re- yeah, you can't really like it's hard to put that into a context because you, you- like saying that there is there has to be some external force behind whatever is happening i don't think it is totally a manifestation that we are conjuring ourselves because i don't think we're that powerful enough to like make those things happen and and i think there are interesting theories out there that can kind of play in that area like the the Gaia theory, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that definitely holds water uh, in many ways um, because yeah. if you believe that you know we live on one big giant living organism that is conscious of what's going on around it, which I have no doubt the Earth is. Yeah, and in believing that the Earth, uh, while at the same time it does like want to. Protect itself and does what it needs to in order to protect itself, even if it's doing it, you know, at a rate that we, you know, don't see it um, or is happening at a very slow rate. The idea that, you know, us as living organisms, that there is a larger living organism that may possibly be looking out for our best interests in our own way is like. To think of that is, um, it attacks on a whole new meaning to life, it yeah. attacks on a whole new meaning to everything because, again, I just don't see the reason why some beings from someplace else would honestly care, sure, because I don't think they would. And to be honest, I, I think the interaction. With the potential interaction with people, just to come here and get certain resources when those resources are abundant all over this, you know, universe and yeah, uh, the, all throughout uh, space, it just it doesn't make sense. So you have to look at these encounters as something greater, and you know, it's not dissimilar to the way that you know someone would look at. You know, an interaction with like their god or something like that. Yeah. And what I when I always uh, what I always appreciate about UFOs is that it feels more democratized because it doesn't require belief for you to experience it. Same with cryptids. Same with ghosts. Sure. You don't have to come in with some preconceived belief in life, you know, spiritual or otherwise. You can just. These events just happen to people. And... uh, Yeah, it just... It it doesn't seem like it's... You know... For nothing. Which is... Which, when you read, like... UFO accounts, in in particular... It's the bare-bones facts. You don't get to know these people that are going through this stuff. You go through the old journals, you know... Whether it's Flying Saucer Review... Uh, the APRO Bulletin, it's all facts, it's all down to you know, what the witness experienced, you know, sometimes there's inclusion of like weather data and stuff like that, but like you don't really get to know the witness um, And and I think that's one of the reasons why I I respected John Keels because he did keep in contact with his witnesses and there were yes. and there were other investigators um that have done that and I think that's also sorely lacking these days like that's definitely um the thing but like I think the part of the reason why this phenomenon has shifted so far um especially now which is largely through this extraterrestrial lens that Mm. um you know your US UFO disinfo communities look at is like we've like the largest contingent that is interested in this subject has closed themselves off to one particular thing so it it doesn't really surprise me now that more and more people just don't either don't have encounters don't talk about them or uh, they're just not happening you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like depressing because yeah. like, while, well, the ET thing was kind of dominant. There was, there was a little more openness than there is now. So.
1: Yeah. I think you look back in. at, you look back at the way, the way things were reported in even the sixties and seventies and it's, mm. you can't help but feel like that was the heyday, yeah. you know? Um, You brought up a lot of good points. Do you think that the reason we don't really get to know the witnesses through those reports, do you see that as a failure on the part of the the researchers of that era? Like a sign of their short-sightedness about what the phenomenon really could be?
0: Not necessarily, because um, given just how new it was back in the day... I, I, I can't really fault them for just trying to get the facts, but as we've, uh, you know, our thinking has evolved in this subject and how it has come to be, like, more inclusive in some realms and less inclusive in others, I think that, um, I think people were a little too focused just on the singular thing and, like, one of the things that I get tired of seeing online these days is this discourse where people are talking about. I remember when ghosts were ghosts and like Bigfoot wasn't <laughs> a ghost and stuff like that. And like, yeah. and and the thing is, is like that rhetoric sounds. It, it sounds very similar to like anti-trans rhetoric, which yes, fucking infuriates me. It makes me so angry. And the funny thing is, is like. When you point it out, they they will start getting defensive about that. Like the the discourse with certain people is like these things have to be stiff, rigid. They have to the fit in this. You know, they've got to stay in their lane. And the problem is, is like they they aren't always like that. And like you have. Bigfoot researchers who struggle to explain why Bigfoot just seemingly disappears as tracks disappear even though hey guess what there's still plenty more room where <laughs> you know in that mud yep. where he, where Bigfoot could be laying some tracks so right yeah like, one of
1: my favorite things to do with this show is to have <clears throat> is to have people on who are flesh and blood Bigfoot people mm-hmm. and, uh, and make them talk about portals for 45 minutes <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it because it's all so much weirder than some people want to recognize. You know what yeah. I mean? It's there. It's just weird. It's and it's okay. I, I think that's what's that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Is that like you said, and I think you said it so well. Is like the deeper you dive into this, the subject doesn't get smaller. Mm-hmm. It gets bigger. It's you, you start to see all these connections that draw you into new areas and new, you know, thought experiments and it just gets bigger and bigger the more you, you get into it. And if, for instance, if you're, if you're like a weekend warrior ghost hunter, right, Mm -hmm. you just go out on Saturday nights and you explore supposedly haunted places. If you if you just draw the line right there I mean that's fine if it, you know it's a hobby whatever yeah. and it's a cool hobby but like if you really dive into it there's no way that two weeks later you won't find yourself reading the biography of madame blavatsky yeah you know what I mean like you can't not land there funny story I just got one in the mail so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's inevitable man yeah it's it's all connected. It 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 all makes sense. It's and funny enough, it's like those those podcasts that started around the time you started. It's almost like they had the right idea by covering a hodgepodge from the start. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like because yep. it really it really is. There are connections, undeniable connections to all these aspects of Fortiana, right? Yeah. That's yeah. There's a reason they're all under the same umbrella right yeah and
0: i think one thing that people do not uh, understand do not get because they are looking for something external they are looking for these external things and they don't realize that th- these experiences these phenomenon that we're talking about tell us more about ourselves than they tell us anything about them yeah. so like start looking inward like don't yeah. look i like we're all enamored with the idea of looking outward because we all believe these experiences are external to our own reality when in fact that may not even be the case. Uh, yeah. especially, you know, if you subscribe to, you know, the co-creation hypothesis or the sure. Gaia hypothesis, or, you know, like, uh, those, Types of hypotheses like kind of make things seem more terrestrial in a lot of ways, even though they're um, we're talking about very strange things that don't even feel terrestrial. Because you know, you live in a world where everything seems normal, everything has like everything in its place, and like nothing can stand out, but yet this world continues to show us how things do stand out and things. Are weird and things like there are things that go against the grain of normal life. So, yeah. like, the yeah.
1: the more you get into this stuff, the more you realize that the world is far more bizarre than your seventh grade science book would have you believe. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> it's just so much stranger. I recently, yeah. I was recently listening to um, Duncan Trussell talk, and he, what what he was saying was much like you were saying, and I'm sure he's not the first person to say it either. Like people look for answers that are looking for answers in outer space. Mm-hmm. When there's a solid chance that the answers are in inner space, right? Yeah. It's like, it's what's within you. And maybe what's within you is just a reflection of what, you know, like when you look at, you see those comparisons of like what, a galaxy looks like and how similar that is to a cell. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so above, so below. Right. Yeah. I think that that applies to a, a huge portion of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does.
0: It really does. Um, there's, there's no way that it doesn't. And yeah, this, all of these phenomenon have been, Practically screaming for an inward look at themselves, and hopefully that will—I I hope that gets to that point some at some point. But it's just like it, it always seems like with the topics that are popular, like it, it's all about how it can it be exploited to make money. And the problem is, is that those things can't always make money, yeah, and. One of the things that uh, really, you know, makes me think is like, you know, in, in many ways, the Mothman prophecies, the movie seems kind of like a miracle in and of its own right, because high strangeness is not easy to film. It's, it's not because when it comes to psychological horror, which is kind of what high strangeness would fit into if you were to put it into a horror movie. Yeah. It it wouldn't make sense in in that because it, it, when it, even in horror movies when things happen that are um, unexpected whether it's a jump scare or something like that there is a certain set of logic that comes with that that with high strangeness it, that logic gets thrown right out the door because you read these accounts of like per se um, the um, The Night Visitor case. It's an Argentinian case from 1968. And there are aspects of it that do not make sense. Like, uh, you know, the basics of that story is this one woman is closing up the hotel that uh, her family owns. And as she's in the process of doing that, there is this strange figure that came into their dining room. Is decked out in like the weirdest looking like David Bowie cosplay like he he does not belong and one of the things that this figure does is lifts its arm and when this figure does this woman falls backwards without any explanation she starts falling backwards slowly there's that doesn't make sense you can't put that into a movie script and like expect to get that, you know, to pass. So yeah. like yeah, like 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 thinking about how the weirdest elements of this stuff would not make for a good movie. Uh, and yeah. Like e- e- it's even just too personal. It
1: is. Like you know?
0: I think the reason why Fire in the Sky and Travis Walton's story makes mm-hmm. a good for a good movie is because it doesn't it's not a story initially about a guy who gets abducted by aliens, it's a murder investigation. Yeah. That's why that story is appealing. That's why that story got such widespread national attention that in the news. It feels human. Yeah, it's a very human aspect to that story. Yeah. And yet, these encounters talk about the human elements that are not easy to quantify, they're not easy yep. to. Um, to actually make sense of most of the time. It's yeah. just like it, it feels in many ways like these encounters are a language of their own that the subconscious is able to understand and then is able to interpret them and uh, people apply them to their lives in certain yeah. ways and you know sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad.
1: Yeah. It, it reminds me of the um Violet Thompson case in Asheville, North Carolina in the 80s. Mm. She talks about, um, there's a, a part that always stuck out to me in that story. The entity that she sees that she says that it comes into the room, but it had always been there. Mm hmm. Is the way she were like, she felt it come in, but it had also always been there. Mm hmm. Is how she describes, and that's something you could never put in a movie and explain. You know what I mean? That's that's so internal. That's such like an instinctual reaction to something. Yeah, that's all over these cases.
0: Yeah, especially when you get into like abduction cases where people talk about like leaving their bodies they can see their bodies like being left behind wherever they're being taken and they're taken on board this craft they have these experiences and such that that's not easy to explain to people especially you know yeah you put that into a movie and like the part of fire in the sky that people you know most react to is that abduction scene where it's like it was kind of like the matrix before the matrix came out. because like, that's how it starts, you know, when that pod thing and, you know, gets out and starts wandering and yeah. Um, you know, it just becomes like a 10 minute long horror scene and it's, it's jarring. It's, you know, very strange. But like, if you start talking about, um, with certain abduction cases, like, um, the ledge abduction, which is a, an abduction that took place in 1968 in Vermont. The main witness talked about how when he was on board and he was about ready to go back um, to the dock that he was taken from. He could see his body on a, on a TV screen inside this UFO. So... Um, you know, it's it was basically like an out of body experience, and like this is the same thing that the Allagash guys talked mm-hmm. about. Like, uh, I think it was uh, Jack Weiner talked about how, you know, they were going through this tunnel, the, the beam of light, just like it, it was like this tunnel, and he could see himself on the other side of it. So, yeah, it's like, um, and and that's the most baffling aspect of this entire thing is like what's happening to these people is not necessarily happening to their physical bodies. It's happening yes. to their consciousness. It's happening to, you know, to something deeper. So yeah. like that also attests to the fact that, um, they, these incidents are purposely designed for the subconscious and yeah. for people, uh, you know, for this language to play out in front of people and for the subconscious to just, decode it and decide what this person needs to do with that information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't like to recognize, or they fail to recognize the fact that a lot of these experiences are more akin to a life-changing psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. Than they are, you know, a, a physical voyage, right? Yeah. Because uh, there's, there's undoubtedly... Undoubtedly, a lot of these um, alien abduction cases happen on, you know, some version of the astral, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's it's psychological. It's happening, you know, in their mind for the most part. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, and and I think that's that's what it all comes down to is like, like this is all about human perception and. Like there, there is really no other tool that is, you know, that manifests these experiences that uh, comes into play. Is like it's all about human perception. So like again, like the the idea that we don't look inward, instead looking outward, and and I think part of that is because we are. A lonely species on one planet, and we don't really know if the world is, or the, the you know, the universe is populated with anything else. So, like, it it reasons to stand that a lot of people will look at this phenomenon as like kind of satisfying that need, when in fact, um, you know, we if we were to look inward and instead of outward, it would probably even be like a more rewarding experience for most people. Yeah. Because we are, we are always enamored with the other. We are always enamored with the idea that there is something that comes from someplace else, something that is older than us, something that is more powerful than us and, and stuff like that. It's, it's like it, it's the idea of like a lot of religions, especially, you know, you talk about you know Christianity, that's the idea is like there's something older and more powerful uh yeah. in the universe and even people who, you know, pray to angels to like save them and protect them and yeah. stuff like that. You know, like we are obsessed with the other when yeah. really we shouldn't be. <laughs> I,
1: I think it's it's an undeniable aspect of the human condition, right? Is that yearning for mystery. Yeah. Is, and it, it really tracks. If you, if you go back, you know, a lot of people have made the connection between the UFO phenomenon now and the, you know, fae lore Mm -hmm. of, of old. Right. Um, and it makes sense because now that we've turned all of our dark, mysterious forests into parking lots, yeah, like we have to go somewhere new for the mystery, and of course it's the stars, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the only place left, right? <laughs> like, but that that source of mystery and other used to be, it used to be the forests. It used to be, you know, the the uh, the wilds, the untamed wilds that were still that still existed. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think Bigfoot serves that need a bit. Because yeah. Bigfoot, uh, you know, uh, is that wild thing that lives out in the woods, and you know, I live in the largest state park in this country. Um, you know, the Adirondacks is huge, yeah, and it's largely untouched. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of small towns around here. There's no really big cities in the Adirondacks because like it it, it was purposefully designed to be that way. So it is. You know, you're not far from the woods wherever you are, uh, in, in whatever you know small town you are up here. So, mm-hmm. like, we have the nice thing is, is like we are connected to the wild in many ways, and. In certain areas of northern New York, in the Adirondack region, there are stories of Bigfoots. There are stories of little people that you do not say their names. Otherwise, they will follow you home. They will fuck up your life. They will (laughs) do some things, you know? Like, uh, there is lore of lots of different things. And, like, you know, that's also... You know, like the the fascinating thing about this too, and one of the things that I've been really interested in lately is lumberjack folklore and like oh, yeah. being out in the woods and like they start to come up with these like creatures that they say they encounter and and you know whether that's uh, the squonk or the hodag, um, the hide behind the. The yeah. uh, slide rock bolter, like the, like, it's interesting yeah. how certain sects of people in any, you know, given area will create folklore, and whether or not those folklore are based on real experiences or not doesn't really matter. Yeah, because like they've been recorded in books. Like like that's that's been one of my things lately is buying expensive old books about lumberjack
1: folklore. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I that I mean that's one of my one of my loves mm-hmm. is is that old lumberjack. I love American folklore. And mm-hmm. that's the lumberjack stuff is like grade A prime American folklore. Yeah. You know? Like like you mentioned the Hodag, the Gowrau, like mm-hmm. All these these beasts that just became symbols of of the people who were really, like, taming America. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, these, these groups of people who went out and had one of the most dangerous jobs a human being could possibly have. Yep. And they're like, and this is how they, this was their recreation. You know yep. what I mean? Was sitting around fires telling these stories to each other. It's yeah, I I love it. I love yeah, it. and the fact that they they had a term for them, they called them
0: fearsome critters. Yeah, fearsome critters. It's just like it's so it's so
1: great. I it's love adorable. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it, it is adorable. Um, but you mentioned Bigfoot, and I think Bigfoot is you know it's a great example because um, it all Bigfoot also fulfills a, a uniquely modern need i think which is that archetype of the wild man that escapes civilization mm-hmm. that yep. goes back to that is living that simple life in the forest you know what i mean i think yep. that appeals to people on a on a spiritual level for lack of a better term it's there's there's something innate in us that you know we want to get back to nature And Bigfoot is as back to nature as a bipedal hominid could get, you know? Yeah, and that's basically what I've come to see is, like,
0: Bigfoot is, like, a creature that shows up to try to get us to reconnect with where we're from. To go out there and, you know, to to really connect with the woods with you know the earth and it it sounds like something it sounds really flaky you know when you say it like that and people are and i know people have a certain reaction to that but i also Um, know that in certain uh you know the the way that people talk about bigfoot like the, the the big time researchers in the subject, it's almost as if they're not even interested in that aspect itself. They're just interested in some hidden species that sure. if if really we were talking about a hidden species, it wouldn't be able to hide from us. Yeah, It, it, it wouldn't. We've traipsed through the woods. We have technology that can, you know, with satellite imaging and, and yeah. stuff like that. There's no way that if Bigfoot was just this terrestrial creature... That it would go unnoticed. Yeah, like, there's, there's just no
1: way. What and- blows, what blows my mind is when, when those guys will tell you that, well, there are Bigfoot sightings and legends all over the world. There are all these, right. the, you know, there are all these different subspecies of Bigfoot, and they say it like it should convince me that it's real and physical but that's less likely like you're telling me it's not just one group of undiscovered hominids in in a one you know densely forested region there right. are 50 of there are 50 separate species of these all over the world and none of them have been recorded exactly exactly like, that is wildly unlikely <laughs> oh god yeah
0: and 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 one of the things that frustrates me and uh this is something I don't think a lot of people consider is that we all jump to different folklore from different areas that we are not even familiar with and yep. we take them and we appropriate them and we put them into this narrative that you know makes it seem like this creature is all over the place. Well, if this creature is all over the place um, I, I don't see why Bigfoot uh, or if you want to call him Yeti over You know, in in Nepal and stuff. What's the what's the point of that creature living in such an inhospitable place? You know, most of the time, that doesn't make sense. You know, in in, like I don't. I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, like uh, enough animal resources for it to get by on, but I don't think it's necessarily in. Like, a, a vegetarian or anything like that. I yeah. don't think you're going to be able to support a frame like that just being a no.
1: vegetarian. So It certainly wouldn't be advantageous for it to stay there. No, right? it wouldn't. No. And apparently it could just live in upstate New York and get by fine. You know what I exactly. mean? Or, exactly. I mean, hell, there are Bigfoot stories here where I'm from in Indiana, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. Because... Right. of this state has been bulldozed and had corn planted on it I mean, you could stand on a tuna can and see the whole state like, there's nowhere to hide here Mm -hmm. (laughs) there just isn't and there's still Bigfoot sightings and Bigfoot experiences and I I find it very unlikely that a predator that size would be supported here, you know what I mean
0: yeah, like we we take away the habitats of so many animals at this point and the fact that you know y'all are still having sightings and like for one thing this corn business the main reason this corn business is the way it is is because of a guy named rusty butts and and screw rusty butts (laughs) you know like nixon administration all about corn hey we'll All give farmers it. incentives to grow for- to grow corn now nah, like yeah. you know that's that's really why there's like corn in like everything now yeah um, which is which is insane to me because like you know uh, i'm covering i've I've been going through the cattle mutilation stuff for mm-hmm. um, the, the last few uh, episodes of the podcast and you know, farmers and ranchers did not have it easy in the 70s. and Absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense that they would look to, like, the government as the ultimate cause of this stuff because they've got, you know, animals turning up dead everywhere. And, like, yeah. um, you know, it, it only makes sense. So, like, you've got the fact that... Um, uh, The cattle numbers are steadily start declining in nineteen seventy five, right when you're in the middle of like there's a grain shortage because Mm -hmm. there are, you know, famines in I think like I think it was like Africa or the Middle East or something like that that we were sending all sorts of grain to. So we've got grain shortages, which leads to you know, um, high meat prices and all that stuff. And then,
1: yep. Not um, to mention fuel, fuel shortages. Mm, yes. We had stiff economic, economic decline from 1970 to 1985. Yep. It is. Yeah. They were going through it. Yep, for sure. Big time, yep. big
0: time. And then just started planting all that damn
1: corn. Yep. <laughs> and, it, you know, in their defense, it, it, Really was a boost for the for the farming industry mm-hmm. in America, yeah. right. And that became <clears throat> sort of the basis of the really the bedrock of the economic incline that we saw in the 80s and 90s. but mm-hmm. like I, I definitely think that that rough time they were going through in the in the 70s had a lot to do with at least their reaction to things like cattle mutilation, crop circles even, Yep. when that started you know the not just the government either but the corporate expansion that was going on in the west in the 70s and 80s where they were constantly ranchers in particular were constantly feeling pressure from corporations to sell off massive swaths of their land for development yep. you know and so yeah i understand that they were felt like they were in a corner you know oh, yeah. and when something yeah. bad happens on their ranch it's easy to point a finger at the people who have already been hassling you oh yeah big yeah. time
0: big time and like it became its own thing to the point where it is still like there's uh, every few years you'll see one area has a, a you know a, a pop up of cattle mutilations like yeah. uh this year it was Texas there was Uh, rancher in texas that lost six cow on the same day i think yeah um there was uh oregon which uh, a few years ago had their thing there was stuff over in europe for a while so like yeah it's just in the united states it's easy to see where that comes from but like um you know there is like a it happens all across the world, so it is an interesting and unique thing, um, but uh, y- yeah, for a lot of ranchers in the 70s, it's just tough economic conditions just led them to point fingers where they needed to, and yeah, uh, it's funny to, like, watch, like... Uh, Some people are wanting to say, oh, well, it's the UFOs that were doing it. And then the UFO people are like, no, 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 it was cults. It was cults. It wasn't these damn UFOs. (laughs) Yeah. That's not what UFOs do. And like, (laughs) the most interesting connective tissue in all of this is Leo Goddamn Sprinkle. And I have come to hate this man with like all of my heart. And, and, and the thing is, is like, Leo Sprinkle is probably like, he has. A fairly good reputation in the UFO community because of you know the, the the just the sheer number of people that he worked with. Sure. Kind of just like a t- very tall, nice guy
1: who. Yeah. You know, with the name did... of a children's clown. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how could how can you not get along? Yeah. yeah. And like
0: he's this boogeyman kind of in the cattle mutilation scene because every single connection between. UFOs and cattle mutilations goes through Leo Sprinkle. Every yeah. person that claims that they had seen a UFOs taking cattle Leo Sprinkle regressed them. <laughs> so like that is, that is the wildest thing in all of this is that, you know, uh, Leo Sprinkle played a part in the disinformation age. I just don't yeah. know the exact part that he played. And how dude. in he was, but like, I, I just trust the man less than this.
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't want to keep you all night. I, <laughs> I feel like I want to have you back on almost immediately and just talk to you for an hour about hypnotic regression. Oh God. Cause I'm, yeah, I, it would be, I could talk to you for hours, dude. I'm, mm-hmm. this was fantastic. Um, yeah. Okay. So before we go tell the people where to find you where to follow you and anything cool you have coming up that you'd like them to check out
0: yeah so i host uh, our strange skies uh it is a podcast about the ufo phenomenon and sometimes it's a podcast where i don't want to talk about ufo so i talk about other weird stuff but uh <laughs> if you want to check it out we're on every single podcast platform uh hmm check out our strange com, and you can find links to all our social media and our, uh, Patreon and all that stuff. Um, and we also, um, I write a comic, uh, that my friend, uh, our friend Todd Burse, illustrates called welcome UFO people. And, uh, if you want to check that out, we're on, uh, Instagram at welcome UFO people and, uh, Twitter at welcome UFO peeps. And we have about, Live eleven issues out right now, and um, they're just like single page comics that depict uh, UFO incidents uh, over the years. Um, the last, well, one of the last ones we did was uh, Injured Cold, and um, you know, like uh, the, the one thing about Injured Cold, and <laughs> I wish people would stop doing this. Injured Cold wasn't white, so please stop depicting him <laughs> as if he were white. He was a dark skinned man.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, if you love Our Strange Skies, you should definitely read Welcome UFO People. It is, like, the most natural extension of a podcast I've ever seen. It's (laughs) Yeah. And they're awesome. Todd's Todd's illustration is fantastic, as always, and Mm -hmm. your writing is right there on par. I love it. And there will be links to everything in the show notes, so if you want to follow Rob and everything he's doing, definitely go in and, and check that out. Thank you again, dude. This this was a fantastic talk. No, oh, Thank you. I appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the the unknown. unknown.